This is Anthony Anarino, and you're listening to In the Arena. You know what I like most about text message is that no matter what, you know that the person that you sent the text message to received the text message. Even if they're not getting back to you, you do know that they read it and you know that they're aware that you're pursuing them or that you have something you need to share with them. That's not always true for email. And in fact, I find that when I send an email, I have this great fear that it's now at the very bottom of the inbox because there's been 2,200 emails that have come in after my email was sent. So I want to give a huge shout out to today's sponsor, MailTag.io. MailTag.io is a Chrome browser extension for your Gmail that allows you to track and schedule your emails. It's super helpful, and I highly recommend it if you're in sales, specifically because you receive real-time alerts on your desktop as soon as your prospect opens your emails or clicks on a link within your email. And that problem I described here at the beginning, you don't know whether or not they saw the email because there's so much incoming for most of us that we can't keep up with the email. In this case, you can set up a follow-up sequence so that another email goes out if there's not a response, and it will literally push your email back to the top of that inbox. So important right now when so many of us live in our inbox and where it's so difficult to get attention. So go check out mailtag.io. You'll find the link in the show notes and take advantage of the 14-day trial. Jay Baer is one of the fewer than 200 living members of the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. He's an inductee into the Word of Mouth Marketing Hall of Fame. He's an experienced professional giving presentations worldwide, and I know him and love him from his work at Convince and Convert, which is his digital strategy consulting firm, and you'll hear me say this on the podcast. He is who I look to to help me understand where the social channels are going and how you can use them most effectively. He's been on this podcast once before when he released a book called Hug Your Haters, which I thought was a tremendous call to action for people who get feedback over the web. And this book now, after having the conversation I had with Jay and that you're about to listen to, makes perfect sense to me. The fact that he would write a book called Talk Triggers, the complete guide to creating customers with word of mouth, is a natural progression of that work. And I think you're going to like it a lot. And there's a lot to learn in here. A very well-researched book, by the way. This is Jay Bear in the arena. Jay Bear, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's always good to see you. I got a bunch of questions here, okay, all, good. all out of the new book. And I was just going over our last conversation. So the last time you were on this podcast, we were talking about Hug Your Haters. Yeah. And that book was really useful to me because I have a number of businesses where people complain. And it was nice to have a framework and to be able to teach other Good. people, like, don't run from this, just run to it. It's an opportunity. Yeah, it's an opportunity. And it turns out it is an opportunity and everybody's watching how you handle those things. Yep. So that was a great book. But now you're back with Talk Triggers, the complete guide to creating customers with word of mouth. Okay, so I got a couple questions about this. Okay. So you are the digital marketing guy. And Some would say, yes. 
many would say. And then you come out with a book about word of mouth. So what happened that caused you to get wrapped around the axle on this idea? All my books are usually a reaction to questions that my clients ask. And so we do consulting for a number of big brands on the marketing and customer service, customer experience side. And I kept getting these questions like, well, we better understand now the mechanics of social media or the mechanics of content marketing, et cetera. But we're not totally sure what we should be saying. Like, we're not really sure what the story is. And I'm like, geez, if these big companies aren't sure what the story is, then nobody's sure what the story is. And I sort of realized like, you know, word of mouth is the oldest form of marketing there is. For a long time, it was the only marketing that we had before somebody painted an ad on a cave wall or something. Yet, we don't pay any attention to it, right? And really, what is social media but word of mouth on a computer? And somewhere along the line, we just sort of forgot that and decided that we were just going to take word of mouth for granted and take a very hands-off, laissez-faire approach to it, which I think is a colossal missed opportunity. And so Daniel and I set out to write this book to show people how you can do word of mouth online or offline on purpose instead of how it's handled today by most people, which is on accident. I want to prompt you to talk about the difference between word of mouth and social media, mm -hmm. since I think right now we've conflated that to just social media. So all yeah. word of mouth is an Amazon review right. or something like yeah. that. And it turns out that what was interesting to me about your book is I didn't expect it to be a research book. Yeah. Okay, so it, it is a research book, like it professional, is. real research. We not did four separate research projects for the book. Yeah, so this is real, and there's evidence in here that suggests who we really listen to and who we take advice from is not what people believe it is. So I would like to ask yeah. you to start by dispelling the sort of conflation of one to the other right at the beginning of this conversation. The data show in this particular piece of research is not from us, it's from engagement labs, but the data show that about 50% of all word of mouth, so a recommendation or a conversation about a product or service, about 50% takes place somehow offline, right? Which could be a phone call, even an email, they classify it as offline in this respect, face-to-face -face conversation, telephone call, email, et cetera, and half takes place online, which would be social media, ratings and review sites, discussion boards, and forums. So from a volume standpoint, it is literally the same. However, the interesting finding, and this isn't even in the book because we performed this fifth research project after the book was written, we discover that the persuasive power of offline word of mouth is about 43% greater than online word of mouth social media because there is a shared intimacy in some way, typically, in that exchange of information. So you and I are having a conversation right now. There are onlookers, of course, or listeners. But if I say, hey, you know what you should do? You really should buy this book or look at this car or I really prefer this airline. That has a lot more oomph because you and I have a relationship and we're describing and discussing this in a way that is more intimate and personalized than if I just go on Facebook and say, I like this airline and you happen to see it. So both are important, but the more conventional, I just tell you a story has more persuasive power. And was there any evidence about the sequence of this? Does the actual intimacy where we have this conversation where it's face-to-face, -face, does that tend to drive the social? Was there anything that indicated that? Because I just have a hunch that more people go to the web because they had a conversation yeah. where somebody said something before they even went out there. That was our assumption too, but the actual fact of the matter is it's, there's very little relationship between the two. <laughs> So it's almost like two separate pools yeah. of conversation. 
and some great work by Jonah Berger, who's the author of the book Contagious, a fantastic professor and really one of the lions of the word of mouth community, found that the conversations that occur online and the conversations that occur offline typically remain separate. And in many cases, they're about different things and they're triggered by different experiences. So that was my thought too, that typically what would happen is you and I would have an actual conversation. Right. And then one of us would go on Facebook and sort of echo that conversation. And I'm not suggesting that doesn't happen, but the data suggests that that is the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, I almost thought of it as a sequence and I'm wrong about that, but that's what you would think. But the interesting thing is that there are two very different conversations going on at all. So I'll do that for you right now. Have you used the duffel? You know, it's funny you ask that because I have, I have been told about Duffel a number of times. So their word of mouth program is certainly leading a horse to water. I'll tell you that. I have never personally used it. And I think, I don't know why, maybe I'm just a little bit too much of a control freak, you know, but I feel like one of these times I just got to try it. And I sort of feel like it's one of those things that if I try it, you're, I'll probably really like it. You know, it'll you're going to be in. Yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm so using you it. You have a good experience, obviously. A great experience. Both of us speak all the time. And so it's, what do you do? I messed mine up though. At the beginning, I put one suit in it and like one casual uh, jeans and a shirt kind of thing. And then you find out you have to send it back to them and you have another gig two days later, they can't get it back in two days. So you yeah. need multiple yeah. suits, you need multiple, yeah. but if you have multiple of everything, it's outstanding. So now all we right. just did the word of mouth thing. It. Yeah, I got to give it a shot. Do you give them the bag or do they provide a piece of luggage? They provide a piece of luggage and the shirts are on a board. I mean, so they're tight and you don't have to do anything with them and everything is perfect. They put an umbrella in. It's not your umbrella, but they just always put like surprises in there. I think you would find it interesting to do once. And if you're scared, carry a bag with you just (laughs) (laughs) backup plan, backup suit. Well, I'm a man who's talk trigger, who's sort of strategic differentiator is in many ways my suits. So I'm a little like, all right, this has got to work or I got to, you know, like, it's like, you know, the king has no clothes or whatever. The emperor has no clothes. Jay uh, doesn't look like the picture. Where, well, you know, where's the purple? I, I, I made the mistake like two years ago. I wore what most people would consider to be a somewhat crazy suit, but by my standards was quite subdued to an event and a meeting planner came up to me before my talk is like, dude, where's the plaid suit? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> they expect it. Now- that was part of the contract. I get it. So yeah, from then on, you got to stay in character, at least on stage. You know what, though? It's great that somebody cares. That's it. It's a talk. I mean, it literally it's is a, a talk, talk trigger. It's amazing. You know, it's funny okay. you asked about the genesis of the book, too, because I started writing about talk triggers in 2011. Like there's wow. one on my site about this premise way, way, way back. And I just never turned it into a book, but I've been talking about it for a long time. So it's, it's fun to sort of fast forward and be like, oh, here's the new research. Here's, you know, it's more important than ever. It's been a, it's been a cool project. So as I read this though, I probably went too far with an idea. I'm going to just ask you, because I wrote the question down and we're going to get into the book. Are you recognizing, and this was just from reading it. This is the question that came out of reading the book. So are you recognizing that there's some diminishing value in social media and not necessarily from a commercial sense, even though maybe there is, but maybe people are having an easier time right now getting away from their phone. And I know Facebook now is the fastest app being deleted from the iStore in history. Is there something else that you're picking up on that caused you to talk about this human interaction and the face, face-to-face thing? Are you noticing something? It's all true, right? There is a backlash. All the data show that Facebook had a declining audience for the first time ever in the first quarter of this year. They actually had fewer people using it than they had in the prior quarter. You're seeing more of a shift towards Instagram, which is, at least for now, presumed to be a more positive kind of an experience. So that is absolutely happening. There is no question a pause, if you will, amongst the populace saying, you know, is this 
the direction we all want to go down together? You know, it's sort of like lemmings jumping off the cliff. Now, I believe it's a pause. I feel like the world moves so quickly now and is so interconnected that Facebook at all will have a pause and then a reacceleration. I just feel like the tentacles are too strong now for us to achieve escape velocity if that's in fact what we choose that we want. I wish I could say that the creation of this book, Talk Triggers About Word of Mouth, was a reaction to my picking up, started writing the book anyway. And literally right when we started writing the book is sort of when people started to say, well, maybe we don't want to be all in on social. So I would argue that's a happy accident more so than crystal ball gazing on my part. Yeah, you know what, though, you're the crystal ball guy that I look to in this world because you are always ahead of the curve and sharing things that I would call, in my world, practical and tactical, you know, so it's really how to think about these things. I'm still 100% convinced on my primary premise about all the social tools that sexting is not going to replace actual sex and that the human species will continue on. Yeah, Um, I think we're all going to be fine eventually. uh, Yeah, I'm long humans. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) I like that. that. You got to disclose that, right? Yes, that's my premise. In a world where everything is automated and there's an app for everything, I'm still long human beings. So the question I have for you next is, have you had the Nashville hot chicken nuggets at the Cheesecake Factory? I have never had the Nashville hot chicken nuggets at Cheesecake Factory. It does not at all surprise me that they have those since they make 85 different kinds of ways. That's got to be a relatively recent addition to the menu. It's it's relatively Uh, recent. The Nashville hot chicken trend, if you will, is relatively... I have a Cheesecake Factory menu right here. uh, (laughs) I could investigate. This one's from like a year ago, so I'll check and see whether that's in here. I'm sure it... it You stole a menu from the Cheesecake Factory. I had, to be fair... I had my intern permanently (laughs) borrow a Cheesecake Factory menu so that I could count the words, which is one of the stories in the book. So, uh, you know, this isn't just making this up. Like this is, uh, we're all about truth in the Talk Triggers book. So yes, we borrowed this and counted the words. Jay Bear on probation, theft from Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) Well, she told me that they were real concerned that they were onto her. They felt pretty confident that she had swept a menu and they kept counting them and like, like, (laughs) You know, and she had like a big duffel bag. So yeah, she managed to escape, but nobody knows why we're talking about Cheesecake Factory. So we have to let them in. It's the first chapter of the book and it is about the Cheesecake Factory menu. And every time we go there quite frequently because it's down the street and my kids like it and literally whatever you want is on the menu. It's almost, it's crazy, but I almost feel like understanding. I feel like I have to study before I go, like I'm going to take the bar exam or something. There's so many things. It's the worst place to be a waiter ever because they come up to the table and like, are you guys ready to order? Like, no, we're not. We're so far away from being ready to order <laughs> that you should just go to lunch and come back yourself. It is 5,940 words in that menu, which is like 13% of the book I wrote that includes the case study of that menu, right? It is, it doesn't, now when I hold it up here in the video that you and I are looking at, it doesn't look that big, but the font in this sucker is like it's an eight point font, right? I mean, it is really hard. It is a, there's like 30 items on this one page of the menu. So it's a carnival ride of chicken. That is their specialty. They wouldn't tell you this, but chicken, they make chicken 85 ways, which is absurd because nobody could name more than 20. And you don't need more than 20 probably, but they got all their bases covered. So why do we talk about Cheesecake Factory's menu And will you just tell people exactly what a talk trigger is? So a talk trigger is a strategic operational choice that you make in your business that compels conversation. It forces your customers to tell that story. Now, the Cheesecake Factory debatably has a few other things they do unusually. They make millions of kinds of cheesecake. The interior design is kind of noteworthy, et cetera. But the size of the menu has proven to be the most impactful and enduring talk trigger for that brand. 
the menu is so overwhelmingly broad that people have a hard time parsing it. And then they tell their friends about, man, you wouldn't believe how big the menu is. You could get anything there. So we actually, as we mentioned earlier, did a research project where we interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Cheesecake Factory customers and discovered that 38% of them have actually mentioned this menu to somebody else in the prior 30 days without being asked or prompted. So you're talking about four in 10 of your customers without anybody asking them a question or going out of their way to tell somebody else about that one special thing that they do that nobody else does. And that's how you become a word of mouth driven organization. The companion question is, when's the last time you saw a Cheesecake Factory ad? I don't know that I ever have. Not very often, right? In fact, they spend $276 million a year less than the Darden restaurant chain, which is Olive Garden and Outback Steakhouse and all those kind of brands. Cheesecake Factory doesn't really advertise because the menu is the ad and their diners are the marketing team. And this is true for everybody. The single greatest way to grow any business, I don't care what business it is, is for your customers to do the growing for you. And I think we all know that to be true, but yet we don't strategically give our customers a story to tell. For the Cheesecake Factory, the giant menu is that story they tell. You have to figure out what that story is about your business, and that story is your talk trigger. That's a great segue into the next question. So you and I both spend a lot of time at hotels. We do. And I don't want the chocolate chip cookie at the Doubletree. You should. Uh, it's a good cookie. It is a good cookie, but I don't want to eat that cookie. I'm trying not to eat cookies. It's 310 uh, calories per cookie. So your decision is probably, <laughs> it's true. So your decision is probably well-founded. My kids, when they play video games, there's always one character in the video game, like Superman, that's just overpowered. Why is this little cookie so overpowered as a talk trigger? It's a cookie. Yeah. It's one of the great word of mouth successes in the history of the world. Doubletree has been giving out a warm, warm's important, chocolate chip cookie to every guest upon check-in every day for 30 years. Wow. 30 years. Today, they will hand out approximately 75,000 cookies worldwide. Now, similar to Cheesecake Factory, we did a research project on this as well. And my co-author, Daniel Lemon, and I conducted a survey where we interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Doubletree customers and found that 34% of them have mentioned the cookie to somebody else in the prior 30 days. So it's more than a third of all guests talk about the cookie. Companion question, when's the last Doubletree ad you saw? Probably not very many because they don't. The cookie becomes the ad, the guests become the marketing department. And, you know, it's a good cookie, okay? So as cookies go, it is objectively good. In terms of cookies given to me by a hotel, it is perhaps at the top of the list. <laughs> perhaps but it's just a cookie, right? I mean, right. It, it, like, let's break this down here. It's just a cookie. But if you go to Twitter and you search Doubletree plus cookie, you will find post after post after post, photos, videos, sonnet, <laughs> you know, country songs, <laughs> I mean, homages, people talking about their deep love for this cookie. And it is not at all unusual. And I mean, mathematically true that people say things like, I only stay at Doubletrees just to get the cookie. Now, look, as I said, it's a good cookie. But even me, a guy who just wrote a book about word of mouth, would suggest that when making a hotel decision, yeah. you might first want to look at location. You might also want to consider price or amenities. Uh, lack or, lack or, of uh, bed bugs. Yeah, uh, but yes, yes. 
absence of bed bugs. But you know, reasonable people make hotel decisions based on a chocolate chip cookies. And the interpretation of that is important because what it really underscores is that your talk trigger doesn't have to be big. You don't have to shock and awe people. This isn't about, I can't believe this is true. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The best word of mouth strategies, the best talk triggers are, are typically relatively insignificant in their financial valuation, but it's consistent and it's memorable and it's talkable. And it's interesting because the talk trigger that would get the most awareness, I think, or already has awareness from the book is the Oprah Winfrey car thing. And sure. so you think, you know, that's what you're looking for, but it's not what you're looking for. And it's funny that, and I think it's sort of the consistency and the gesture of the cookie as sort of a representation of hospitality Yes, that gives a, a tiny cookie a superpower. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's super it's relevant. Like it makes yeah. sense. And that's one of the things we talk about, one of the four ingredients. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about relevant. all four of the ingredients. Okay. We can't go through all four, five, six nope. because we want people to buy the book, but I will pitch that they should read the entire book and the- it is a great, it's a process and a system and people, I don't know that they're going to get that by just looking at it. So we're going to talk about that. So the first three chapters are these kind of set up stories with great lessons, but the book is in fact a framework and a system. And I want to start with the four of the four, five, six. Yep. So I want to start with what Seth Godin would call a purple cow. And in an earlier chapter, there was a reference to David Bowie's transformation to Ziggy Stardust. Mm -hmm. I'm such a David Bowie fan. I played oh, rock and roll when I was a kid. And I mean, if you could go back and be anybody, for me, Ziggy Stardust would be, that's be a pretty, pretty good choice. Yeah. I love it. So what does it mean when you're thinking about a talk trigger for it to be remarkable? And talk a little bit about that because it's the starting point for getting the conversation started. Yeah. I mean, look, if the whole premise here is to get customers to tell your story, that story has to be worth the time and breath necessary to tell it. Like, I'm sure I know some of the folks who are tuning in to this conversation, probably don't know everybody, but I do know this. Nobody listening has ever said, hey, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. <laughs> right. right? I mean, we, nobody says it because that's a terrible story, right? That's not worthy of word of mouth. And so the first thing that your talk trigger must be, the first of the four ingredients, the four R's, we sometimes call them, because they all start with R. The first one is remarkable, which, you know, it has to be worthy of remark. And if you're doing something, if your differentiator is something that your customers expect, or they've all seen before, it puts such a massive cap on the conversation that it just doesn't really ignite at all. So it's got to be something that people don't see coming. So a lot of this audience is going to be people who sell predominantly B2B. And so they're going to be confused right now about, oh, so it's our unique selling proposition. No, it's, it's our not. USP. Okay. Why is it not the USP? Because a USP is a decision about what you do that is better usually, or somehow specifically different than your competition. And a USP is usually a bullet point that's talked about in a conference room. A talk trigger is a story that's talked about in a bar, right? So a talk trigger is an operational choice. It's one thing you do different. A USP is a structural choice. Like here's how we're going to compete in the market. I mean, you're going to do it, you know, in some sort of a Gantt chart, right? It's a different approach. Now, that's not to say your USP couldn't be a talk trigger. That just doesn't usually happen. Could be. But a USP is typically about quality. You're more than or you're less than or you're, you know, and a talk trigger is typically about a story. Yeah. And I think a lot of salespeople think their USP should be a talk trigger. But for the client, yeah. it's not. It's differentiation. That's great. It's important. But it's not going to be enough to get people talking. 
is this remarkableness something that you can manufacture? And do you have any stories of like people? So I heard Howard Stern interview the guy that does the Let's Get Ready to Rumble, Michael Buffer. Yeah, Michael Buffer, yeah. yeah. So Michael Buffer. And Michael Buffer had like 25 things he tried before he ever got Let's Get Ready to Rumble. The first one was like, man your battle stations. (laughs) And, And it was like, no. And it took him a lot of iterations. But I wonder, is this something That's awesome. that just go back and listen to that episode? That sounds fantastic. It's really funny. He's got a whole bunch of them. They're all terrible. But then let's get ready to rumble is perfect. And it's a yeah. thing, yeah. you know, and it's his remarkable thing. Does that just happen? Is there stories about people who tried to manufacture this and ended up finding something after trying? For example, Doubletree used to do it as a turndown service, right? So they originally did it in your room on the pillow. And then like, well, that's not the same. <laughs> it may not be warm. It's not hand to hand. People can't see it in the lobby. So they started it with a nice cookie on your pillow. And they're like, well, wait, let's trade it. So yes. And sometimes it works the other way too. Sometimes you come up with one and then it doesn't work anymore, right? So the reverse of Michael Buffer, the, the story we tell about that in the book is Enterprise, rental car, which right. for a long time, their talk trigger, their differentiator was, we'll pick you up, you may remember. They were the only ones that would come drop off, pick up your rental car. And that seemed pretty cool in the day. But you know what? It's not cool when you have Lyft and Uber on your phone. Because why do I need the rental car guy to pick me up when I can get anybody to pick me up at any time and in any circumstance? So that's a talk trigger that no longer makes sense. They had to go back to the drawing board and sort of work on a new one. And sometimes that happens. Do you ever rent a car anymore? I do, but only typically only in one place, usually only in Phoenix because my family's still there and they're at sort of opposite ends of the city. And so it's, you know, it's 40 miles each way kind of thing. And I'm usually moving around a lot there. So that's about the only place. And I usually use Silver Car, which I love. I don't even know what that one is. We're doing all word of mouth here. It's now owned by Audi, recently purchased by Audi. And it's called Silver Car because they only rent Silver Audis. They rent A4s and Q5s, and it's almost like an Uber hybrid where they bring you the car to the airport, like, here you go, and then you bring it back to the airport, thanks so much, and then you don't have to put gas in it because they just charge you whatever the gas station is plus five bucks. Whole thing's on the app, no paperwork, in and out. It's pretty great. I saw an app yesterday on the iPhone's app store called Fuel, where they actually deliver fuel. It's in San Francisco right now, but they're trying to bring They bring you fuel? They bring you fuel, yeah, so you don't have to go to the gas station to fill your car up. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like mobile pet wash, right? Same kind <laughs> yeah. of idea. Yeah, I, yeah, that's pretty good. Well, you know, the one, one of the stories that we have in the book about that sort of urban living and more efficiency is Paragon Honda. I love this one. So they, they're in Manhattan and like most car dealerships, they make most of their money on service, not sales. Problem is in Manhattan, like getting the cars in and out and like the traffic is like bonkers, right? So their original plan was to build three more service centers, but it was going to cost them $42 million to do that. And they're like, man, that's pretty tall clover. So new plan. They had an epiphany. They're like, hey, when do people not need their car? Mm, when they're sleeping. So now what they do is they come to your house once you get home from work. Once you finish dinner, they show up. They take your car. They fix it overnight like magical elves. You have an app. So if you need like, you know, whatever, air filter, they just shoot you a picture. Like, is this okay? Yes, no. And they bring the car back in the morning before you wake up. Amazing. That's amazing. That's remarkable. Yes. So I think that most of us that think in this, like, how do we get attention kind of world are bad at relevancy. And I can tell you the number of your example in the book of we're going to have a contest where the prize is an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it resonate with you. The B2B sales guy is like, you okay, look at it, you're like, 
Yep. Everybody wins an iPad. That was the only prize allowed, it seemed like, for like 18 months. And it would be at any conference that I ever went to where there's like a jar with your card for yeah, a potential. Get the, I get like the Amazon Echoes. That's like the yeah. new prize. For $29. So yeah. it's a far less than the iPad and you can give many, many more of them away. First, tell me what is relevancy? Let's talk about what that is and why is it critical to getting talked about? Well, we have to understand that the idea here is to create a reliable word of mouth strategy that hopefully can be like Doubletree and work for 30 (coughs) years, right? That creates new customers every day. And this is, I mean, if anybody in any organization should be pushing this, it's sales. Because if you can get a talk trigger to really work, it makes your job as a salesperson infinitely easier because customers are already having those conversations that usually you would have to have. So it makes all call possible scenario, obviously. So anyway, we sometimes make the mistake and think that chatter is the goal. And it's not. I mean, yes, we're talking about having customers tell stories, but not any story and not at any circumstance and not about anything, right? If the only goal is to get awareness, then we'll just rent an elephant. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't even matter what to do. Just we'll rent an elephant. We'll find a way to put the elephant in our office and our work here is done, right? But that's not going to pay off day after day because the elephant's got to leave eventually. So what we want is something that actually makes sense in the context of who we are and what we do. I'll talk about Doubletree for a second. There's 14 brands in the Hilton Hotels portfolio, right? You've got all the different, you know, Conrad, you've got Hilton Garden Inn, blah, 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 blah. The brand positioning of Doubletree by their own admission, is the warm welcome. They put a tremendous amount of effort and time and focus on the eight to nine minutes between when you set foot in the hotel and when you subsequently set foot in your room. They want to own that experience. They want to be the best in the world at that nine minutes. So they train their front desk staff more than most. They put more time and money into lobby than most. And the cookie ritual, and it is a ritual, is a big part of that. It's a warm cookie the brand is warm welcome. And importantly, they don't have a pile of cookies. They go, they turn, go to the oven, turn back and hand you a warm cookie hand to hand. Like it's like a Japanese tea ceremony with chocolate chips. So that's the, you know, it makes sense. Now, let me give you a different example. There's a locksmith in New York City. His name is Jay Sofer. He's the highest rated locksmith in all of New York and actually one of the highest rated businesses in New York, period, which is a pretty high bar to clear. He's good for sure, but he has a great talk trigger. After he finishes working on your door or whatever, he does a security audit of your whole premise and then oils every single door and window lock in your entire premise for free, both of those for free. That's his talk trigger. Now, imagine if these two things were flipped. Imagine Jay Sofer finishes working on your locks and says, Anthony, would you like a, um, a warm chocolate chip cookie I made in my locksmith van? You'd be like, um, <laughs> totally not on that. I don't understand what happens in a locksmith van, but quality cookie making is not that. Or imagine you check into Doubletree and they said, hey, Anthony, before you go to your room, would you like us to do a security audit? And you're like, uh, <laughs> is that necessary? Because if so, I may have to check out right now. So The locksmith thing makes sense because it's in the context of being a locksmith. The cookie makes sense because it's in the context of warm welcome. So your talk trigger has to actually tie back to whatever it is that you do. There's a few hotels I've stayed at where I would have taken the security audit for sure. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) There's a few. I, I want to talk about reasonable too, because this, I think of all of them, the things that get attention are unreasonable. But the thing that's a talk trigger is specifically reasonable. And I'll start with my favorite example I know because my kids love Five Guys. And I'm 100% confident that if you just took the fries that are left over in the bag, you could probably end world hunger 
it's impossible for a family of five to eat a small order of French fries at Five Guys because they, they take your cup that they put the French fries in and then add about 500 times more fries to the bag. And that's their thing. Yep. That but is it's, their thing. That is their it, talk trigger. And it's very much on purpose. That's no accident. We interviewed right. the guys, you know, the owners in the book. And they're like, yeah, if people aren't complaining, the owner says, if people aren't complaining about getting too many fries, we haven't given them enough fries. I'm like, <laughs> dude, you're the best. Like, I love this whole idea. It's so great. And the thing is, you know, it is reasonable. Does it cost them some money? Well, yeah, but not really, because that price is obviously figured into their operations costs. It's not like they're, you know, somehow, well, we got we to gotta work the extra fries budget a little differently. I mean, that's just how they do things, right? They essentially just don't have a small fries, like small <coughs> is medium, medium is large, and large is gigantic. <laughs> but it is so noticeable, and people pay attention to it, and they talk about it, and they tell their friends about it, like, oh, we got these fries everywhere. And they just, they do it every time, every day. And it doesn't have to be we think about word of mouth. We're like, well, we got to break through the clutter and consumers are jaded. And so what we've got to do is have a contest and put your name in a fishbowl and somebody's going to win an island. It's like, <laughs> like, you know, that's probably unnecessary, right? And what happens is when you get too big, it actually backfires on you. So when you deliver customer experiences or opportunities that are too grand, it creates suspicion, not conversation. People start thinking, well, wait a second, they don't have an island to give away. What are the terms and conditions here? Like, what's the strings attached here? So you don't want to, nor do you have to, make your talk trigger too big and bold and crazy. You want Goldilocks, right? So you're looking looking for different enough to be talkable, but small enough to be trustworthy. And then I want to tie this last one together, and we'll talk about sending people out where to get the book, but the last one's repeatable. And so that's like, how many islands are you going to give away? And how many times are you going to give away 276 cars and then give people a $7,000 you know, tax bill that they weren't expecting? I don't know what the tax bill is on an island, but I'd like to know that. It's so, you know a lot for sure. And look, there's this philosophy now in marketing, and I talk about it as much in sales, but in marketing for sure, this idea of surprise and delight. And it's mostly activated in social. The idea, the premise is that you take one customer in one circumstance and you do something very, very different for them. Hotels do it all the time. Somebody checks into the hotel and in their room is a live panda bear Mm -hmm. with a eucalyptus tree. And you're like, oh my God, what's this bear doing here? This is crazy. And the, the hope is that this customer will take a video of the bear and the video will go on Facebook and then it will quote unquote, go viral, and it'll get picked up by Reddit, and then MSNBC will come calling, and it'll become this huge conversation piece. That might work. It also totally might not work. And even if it does work, you may steal some conversation for a week, but what happens after that, right? You're going to run short of panda bears pretty quickly. And it also isn't necessarily relevant to your business. You're not in the panda bear business or the eucalyptus forest business, presumably, and it may totally not work. So surprise and delight is a lottery ticket. It's not a strategy. What we're talking about here is a reliable word of mouth strategy that helps you be a more successful salesperson, helps build the business every day into the infinite future, reliably. Like I'm not in the gambling business. I'm in the strategy business. I am a strategy. That's what I do. So that's why we have a framework for this. If you just want to kind of take a wild, crazy crack at it, like go ahead. And I'm not suggesting you should never try surprise and delight, but surprise and delight isn't a strategy. It's just hope. And it's not sustainable. So I want to talk about repeatable for just a minute. It's the last factor. There was some text in the book around meet and greets. And I'm still a rock and roll guy. I did cheap trick with my wife and son. And it was very fast. I mean, very, very fast. But they were very, I could tell it wasn't them. They were 
very interested in talking to people, but they kept jamming people by them. Yeah. But the one that I did that I probably had the best experience at was Alice Cooper. Oh, nice. Who, who was a childhood, you know, influence. He put 12 people in a room and they were all around a wall with a table and a banner behind it where he was going to sit at the table and sign things for you. And he literally brought up each person one by one and spent, I don't know, three to four minutes with each person talking to them individually. I wrote a blog post about it because I'd never seen anything like this. This woman came up and she had all these little tiny dolls from like Michael's or one of those stores. And she painted one like Alice and one like his wife and one like his thing. And she has this stuff and I can just see my reaction to like, she's not going to try to give him those. He can't. I mean, is he going to take out? <laughs> he doesn't want $8 little things. He couldn't want those things. Yeah. But when he saw them, he went, oh my gosh, I can't believe how good this is. And then he calls his assistant over and he's like, Kyler, make sure that you take these to the bus and put them in the back and make sure that they're safe because I'm afraid something's going to happen to them. And I'm watching this girl just like, yeah. her head's exploding. And the next person that comes up says, can you draw a demon for me? And he says, no, but I can draw my profile. She goes, I'm having that tattooed right on my leg right here after he draws it. And he's like, well, let me see your other tattoos. I don't have any tattoos, but he's just caring about each person. Yeah. And you're like, so how can he do that? But he did it for three groups of 12 people. Mm -hmm. And it was totally remarkable because you don't expect it. Number one, it's relevant because if you're there, you're the biggest Dallas Cooper fan in the world. And these people in the room certainly were. And you expect something from him, but you don't expect this level of attention. So I think that's what over-index is there, but it's repeatable. So he did three of them that night in a row, and that's what he does. And I wrote about it, and then he went out on the road with Johnny Depp with Hollywood Vampires, and somebody sent me a note saying, I did the meet and greet, and it was exactly the opposite of what you described. It's him yeah. and Joe Perry and Johnny Depp standing next to each other. You stand in the middle, and they throw you out of the room in four seconds. So I blame uh, Depp. I blame Depp too. I think it had to be Depp because it was just not that. No, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. You know, I'm from Phoenix. And so I've had a lot of opportunities to interact with Mr. Cooper. And that does not sound like uh, something he would sign off on. No, me either. But he did three of them and I think it's repeatable. And so the delight has to be sustainable over time for people yeah. to talk about it. And yep. I think when you're looking for the one hit thing, you lose it. So the book is called Talk Triggers. We could give people the whole book here, but we just gave them the four of the four or five, six. So I feel like we've given them a, a lot of a good content here, but we do want to get people talking and we do want them to understand that this is a recipe book. It's got like examples that I would say are like the pictures of the recipe that you're trying to figure out. But then the framework, I mean, it's really, really specific about how you think about this. So I think if you're trying to generate word of mouth, then you should be. This is a really good place to start. So where do we want to send people to learn more about you and your work? If you go to talktriggers.com, there are a number of other resources there. I certainly hope you'll buy the book, but there's a bunch of other stuff there. In addition to this fine conversation, we've got PowerPoint presentations, we've got book club discussion guides, we've got research, infographics, videos, like all kinds of stuff. So if you want to dig deep, go to talktriggers.com. Everything is there. Of course, you can get the book, all the places and ways that books can be procured, including an audiobook read by myself and my co-author. I will tell you one thing though, before we go, since we wrote a book about word of mouth, we're like, all right, we have to have a talk trigger for the book. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of hypocrites here. So there's actually two. One, the book itself has alpacas on the cover and is hot pink. So if you see a business book with alpacas, it's almost definitely the right book. And second, on the back of the book, it says these words. It says, satisfaction guaranteed. If you bought this book and didn't like it, go to talktriggers.com and leave the authors a message. They will buy you any other book of your liking. And we will. So if you buy this book and you don't like it for some reason, I think you will. But if you don't, that's fine. 
and you're like, hey, I want a first edition Bible, we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. <laughs> so there's literally no reason whatsoever to not buy this book because you have quite literally zero risk whatsoever. I'm going with the first edition. I think that's, that might be pricey. It might be. Daniel, my co-author, when we were you know, kind of coming up with this idea, he's like, we shouldn't do that. That's too, well, that could be bad. What if somebody wants a $10,000 cookbook? I'm like, well, that's the offer we've made. And if that happens, I'll have a press release written in 10 seconds. So <laughs> it's okay. It's, okay. It's not the kind of attention you want to sustain, but yes. No, but we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah. And what about Convince and Convert? Convince and Convert is our consulting and media firm. We have, I can't even tell you the treasure trove of resources there for salespeople, for marketers, for business owners of all shapes and sizes. We've got multiple podcasts. We have thousands of blog posts, webinars, videos, courses, convinceandconvert.com. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll add onto this. Definitely pick up the book. It's worth your time and attention. And it is extraordinarily well written and the case Thanks. studies are relevant. You're going to have a good time reading the book too. But also I wanted to pitch Convince and Convert. It's where I go to try to stay ahead of what's going on in the world of social and digital because I always feel like you're the guy that's a couple steps ahead of everybody else and recognizing things that are going on. So I appreciate your work and thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it was a blast. Always good to talk to you. And actually, you know, because you're a music guy, there's a lot of music jokes in Talk Trigger. So I wrote the first couple of bits and I had a couple of lines in there. And then our editor's like, well, let's just make that like a secret recipe in the book. So every chapter has at least one music joke or kind of weird music reference. So that's my little assignment to readers. See if you can find all the music references. That's fun. All right, we'll see you for the next book, maybe sooner. I hope so. Hope sooner. Let's do it again. Okay, sounds good. That was Jay Bear in the arena, and you can find him at jbear.com. I'm also going to send you out to talktriggers.com, where you're going to find the book, along with a lot of additional resources that you may want to use. I'm going to send you one other place as well. I mentioned it in the intro, and I mentioned it to Jay during the podcast, but I do think you should go out and check out convinceandconvert.com. It is very, very smart content around where digital is going and how you might think about it. I'm Anthony Anarino. You can find me at thesalesblog.com where I publish daily. You can also get there by going to my last name, anarino.com. And do go subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash anarino. If you like this podcast and you found it was helpful for you, please go out and give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. That helps us share the message with other people. And we deeply, deeply appreciate it. Until next time, I'll see you back here in the arena. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.